0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: radio show for artists, writers, and so much more, hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of Java or chai, and listen and enjoy. Tonight's guest is author and survivor of so many pitfalls in life, Patricia Scholes. Namaste, Patricia Scholes, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, It's a pleasure, and I'm so happy to have you, Patricia. Patricia, let's first start off by taking your Java order. We have a wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes. And we also have herbal teas for the tea lovers. So what's your fancy? Patricia?
0: My favorite is mint tea.
1: I would love a cup of mint tea. Beautiful. So um, let me fix that right up for you. And here you go. Enjoy it. Thank you. So Patricia, let's start out by discussing your book, Her Darkest Beauty the first of your science fiction book series, Law Keeper of the Tapestry. Talk about the genesis of this story and series, and how did you come up with these wonderful titles?
0: The story started way back in high school, and it was uh, an assignment, what would you do if. And during those days, I mean, I'm ancient, so during those days we were worried about... (laughs) (laughs) We were worried about World War III happening. And um, so what would you do if you survived somehow? And that got me thinking. And then I realized that maybe if it wasn't, it was the other way around. It was a place not on this earth but somewhere else. And they were a peaceful planet, but they were invaded by a warlike group. What would you do if you were dedicated to peace and at the same time you were invaded? So that began the series.
1: Very interesting. Um, and those titles, uh, Her Darkest Beauty and "Lawkeeper of the Tapestry, did it take you a while to come up with them, and, and how did that work?
0: It really did take me a while. I wrote the first series as a single novel, and it didn't develop right. the theme the way I wanted it to develop. The two middle chapters were about the main character's daughter and she was a different kind of kid so i wanted to do something special with her um and i explored those two chapters and they became a book and she became the um the heroine of the next series that's called the right yeah i um anyway it was it's called the uh, Song of the Lorekeeper, and so that series I'm still writing, but this first series, Lorekeeper of the Tapestry, the the story starts with her mother, goes to the child, and then finishes with the mother, so all the loose ends are tied up.
1: Patricia, your protagonist in the story is called Kara. As a child, Kara witnessed her father's murder. Wanting revenge, she allows an alien entity to enter her mind and give her strength to satisfy her desire to destroy her enemies. This creature, one of those brought to her planet by the Nivians, has trapped her in this dark, self-serving prison. The story is her struggle to free herself from the entity whose sole purpose is to feast off her darkest emotions. Patricia, I find the metaphor of Kara's being trapped and struggling to free herself from a self-imprisonment can be juxtaposed to your life and how you dealt with all of your trials and tribulations. Wouldn't you say so?
0: Maybe. I was also a foster parent, and so many other children had much worse childhoods than I did. And I, they're heroes. They're heroes and heroines, all these children, because they survived. And they, many of them have gone on to be wonderful adults. And I wanted... To show people that are caught in darkness, but that that's not all there is
1: Now, I understand her darkest beauty is one is the one book in the series um Now we know that the series name is the lore um but what are the books what are the other books in the series about, and how do you basically go from? one book to the other. Is that seamless, or uh, can they all stand on their own?
0: They can stand on their own. Um, The first book, Her Darkest Beauty, is is Kara's struggle against darkness. Um, The second book is her daughter's struggle against both her mother's culture and her mother's brother, who is trapped by one of those entities and doesn't want to be set free. And the third book uh, finishes Kara's life and brings um, Kara and her daughter um, through another huge, huge trial. And the the, the second book is called, um, gee, it's been a while, um, The um, Dance of the Lorekeeper and then... Um, Wait a minute. That's okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just been a while since I've gone through the series. And um, I'm working on the second series, and so I'm not thinking like I should be.
1: Um, Oh, that's quite all right. So you know what? You have graciously agreed to read from your book. Please do so now and set up for our audience what you'll be reading.
0: I'm going to be reading the prologue of Her Darkest Beauty.
1: This tells the
0: audience, this tells the reader, um, what Kara is going to face as an adult and what the whole planet actually faces um, because of these entities. Okay. The bodiless entity floated toward a row of human prisoners being lined up for transport out of the camp and into the newly built prison. The entity had spent much time in the camp, feeding off the fear that permeated the air with sweet perfume. Hoping to get more than aroma, it hung near several who might live through their incarceration and tried to entice them. They were a dispirited lot, too powerless. Oh, but there, that human blazed with an uncommon fury. The entity hovered closer, considering a number of ways to entice him, anticipating the feed, When a burst of rifle fire blasted through the camp, prisoners fell, including the one he had chosen to inhabit. Irritated, the entity searched the crowd, hoping for a victim who would accept its uh, guidance. Most humans, however, did not appeal to the entity, because too few of them owned even a flicker of true power. Humans were a boring species. Here, an atrocity had just been committed, and a line of 20 of their own had been murdered by rifle fire, and the crowd muttered helplessly or wept hopelessly, not a spark of rage flamed with bright energy. No one dug deep inside to raise a lush fire of revenge. None of them despised their enemy enough to hate, hurt, and kill. Ah, now, what about that child? In the front of the crowd, swaying on unsteady legs, her energy burned, but her spirit flagged. This child held promise, she possessed the essence of uncommon talent attractive to the entity. To own such power, to feed upon it, to control it, the urge to taste the child's misery through the blaze of her talent drew it close enough to be touched. Although her grasp of talent would have allowed it her to see it floating right next to her, she did not. It hovered around the devastated child in indecision, it wanted to taste her trauma in its fullness, not to sniff at the wisps of fear and sorrow that emanated from her thoughts. It had not drunk a full expression of emotion in a very long time. It usually ignored children. They simply took too long to express life in all its darkest beauty. This child would need to reach adolescence before she could become a true predator, and that remained several years away. The entity had never been known for its patience. But all that power, it aches to possess her power and twist it to its will. Once she matured, this child could fulfill its darkest wishes. I can help you, the entity offered, speaking directly into the child's mind. To its delight, the child did not look alarmed at the alien voice in her head. Neither did she search the crowd for the speaker, unlike most humans. Most humans, especially the talentless, would have pushed away the entity's thought as too strange to accept and then insult the offer by forgetting it ever happened. Most humans were beneath the entity's notice. Not this child, however. The child accepted the beast's voice, but her eyes remained on the body of the one prisoner that had just fallen, the one the entity had abandoned after his life force left. Her father... Ah, so that was why this girl felt such an amazing flare of emotion. The entity studied her as she stared at her father's blood, turning the black mud into a sick red. He's dead, the beast told her. They killed him. It threw a bolt of hatred for her enemies at her to see what she would do. With children, one never knew. Some of them simply shut down, and this one looked like she might. The child accepted the hatred. The talent and her burned with a desire for revenge. The beast purred and tried another bolt, this time one of fear. All of you are in danger with them in control. And there laughed in delight when the child also accepted the second bolt. I can protect you, it said. Let me make you strong enough to eliminate those who took your father from you and I will reward you. It then gave her a taste of the reward and allowed her to feel nothing at all, giving her a sense of peace, like cold, numbing ice, a peace like death.
1: Wow, wow, You read that so well that was that was awesome. I was really into Thank that you. that entity that entity is is easy character. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, Patricia, at what point in your life did you decide you wanted to write stories and eventually become an author?
0: I I think I was born that way. When I was a little girl, um, my to keep me busy, my grandmother gave me a sheet of newspaper and told me to draw something. And then later on we went back to visit Grandma, And by this time I was in my teens and she showed me, do you remember this picture? She said, you drew this when you were like three, four years old. And I go, oh, yeah. Grandma, that was a story. I didn't have words yet. That was a story. And I told her the story of that picture with the little girl and the dog that I had drawn. So I think that's part of who I am.
1: Now, before you published uh, your uh, series and your books, did you have any training in creative writing at any time, or did you just decide to jump in?
0: Um, I took, I I got through all my high school early so that I could take one creative writing class. Um, And then I took another in college later on. But that's all the professional training I've had. But I pick up anything I can. I've got a whole library full of books, and I've got, I mean, I never stopped learning. I still am not have not stopped learning. I've got grammar books right. and everything.
1: How were your books published? Did you go through a mainstream publisher or did you self-publish?
0: At first I self-published. I tried, tried mainstream media, but a friend of mine went through a mainstream publisher, and she didn't do any better than I did. Um, and she had to do all of her own marketing anyway. Because things have really changed since, um, since the 40s and 50s and 60s, so it's a whole new publishing world out there. Um, and since she had to do all of her marketing anyhow, I thought, well, if I go through a publisher, if I, if I can do just as well as she can, and so I did. Right. And then this other company picked me up, and they're a very good company, by the way. Celestial Waters Publishing House is the. Uh, I mean Celestial Waters publishing is the house that uh, took me up and they didn't mind that I was already um self-published they picked me up anyway so I'm very pleased because that, that never happens just just so people out there know it never happens a uh, traditional publisher does not pick up a self-published author so this was unusual
1: So talk a little bit about when you first self-published. Were there any challenges? Uh, Did you have any issues? And um, looking back, uh, would you do it again? How was that self-publishing for you in the beginning?
0: Actually, it worked really well. I used Amazon's CreateSpace. um, Okay. And and they walk you through everything. So I didn't have any issues with that. the, the The marketing has always been my problem, and that's because right. i'm a writer and, it, and the, when when you try to run it like a business it's a different mindset entirely, so you
1: have to like be two people practically to self publish exactly exactly so many authors think that once the book is written and then printed and published everything stops but that that's the easy part the hard part is now doing the marketing now doing the legwork um you know and and that's reality wouldn't you say
0: oh yes oh yes i um i run it like a business i do as much Writing, as I do marketing, I do it equal. In other words, if I'm going to do three hours of of writing in the morning, I'm going to do three hours of marketing in the afternoon. Um, And otherwise, nothing gets done. Nothing gets published. Um, It's not easy. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, But it's worth it. It's so worth it.
1: It sure is. Um, Patricia, I'm very intrigued by another book you've written called Surviving Hard Times, a living book. Talk to me about the history and seemingly passionate plot that this book delves into.
0: I was probably in my 50s when I wrote that book. Um, I realized there were two generations behind me that had no idea how to do some really basic things. and um, I mean basic survival things. They didn't know how to Cook, on the, cook anything from scratch, they didn't know how to um, budget their money, they didn't know how to do anything but spend, they were all into entertainment, and then everything right. crashed. Everything crashed. Uh, the housing market crashed, the stock market crashed, the banks all folded, you know, you know, everything crashed. And so I decided I to go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yes. you do. <laughs> and so I realized that the book had to be written, and so I took... Um, I made 50% of its recipes just so that even if you don't have meat, you can stay healthy. Uh, nice. 50% of it is uh, the other 50% is how to live, how do you barter, how do you mend, how do you um, how do you make a small community that can support each other? Those are the kinds of things that I cover in that surviving hard times because people need to know it. They need to know it, and I don't think we're headed for better times.
1: Uh, yeah, these these generations now, what they call millennials and, and, and these generations, <laughs> they could definitely <laughs> use this book. I, I definitely say that. Um, about this book you write, Patricia, use this book as a tool to keep you and your family headed in the right direction. Patricia, talk about how this book was received by those who read it. What type of feedback did it receive?
0: I got Good feedback from people in their 50s, but I, the younger people never picked it up. Okay. They don't see the need for it. They, um, And I can't, you know, you can lead a horse to water, as the saying goes, but you can't make them drink. Um, so I think they're going to have to really face some hard times before they're going to understand what the book's purpose is. And there really is help out there. I wrote an article from the book. Uh, not too long ago, I posted it on my site. Um, I have two sites. Um, but anyway, it was on one of my sites. It isn't on PatriciaSkulls.com. It's on WillowBarkTea.com, uh, which is an herbal survival site. Um, anyway, the, the the article talks about three things you need to be able to do. And the first is you need to have a place to live. If that means you sell your home, you sell your home. If that means you rent a home, you rent a home. You do not live in your car. You do not. You you do whatever you can to stay in a home somewhere. If that means you scale down, you scale down. But you you need a home. You need a phone, and you need food. You need to be able to get that next job, and you you need a living out of a car doesn't give you what you need to get that next job. You need to stay healthy, and I. Give people tips on how to stay healthy. I tell people if they're really, really in dire straits, let everything go except the house payment and the phone. If you have right. to let, if you have to let, if you have to go bankrupt, go bankrupt, whatever it takes, but don't lose that home. Right. Um, because you need you need a, a, a permanent place to be able to entice the next um employer to hire you or you can be older like me and just start your own business
1: <laughs>
0: but i didn't put that in the article
1: you know it's ironic patricia as you say that that so many people so many families lost their home after that housing crisis and the uh struggle in 2008 and the uh the economic breakdown. So many people went underwater and lost their homes. So, you know, you saying that the home is the necessity is 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 words to live by. So, Patricia, uh, I know you've been through a lot in your life. Talk a little bit about your childhood and some of the struggles you encountered along the way.
0: Um. One of the reasons I write fiction is that it's hard to talk about me.
1: Um,
0: Okay. But I can do a little bit. I was, my parents, in those days, if you got pregnant, you got married. Um, My parents had to get married. So that meant that I was an unwanted child, and I was not allowed to forget that. Um, I was also the one responsible to take care of the younger children as they came into My parents' world. And um, my father was violent. Thank God he was not sexually abusive, too. And my mother used me as her personal servant. That's fine. Those things a kid can live through. There are things a kid has real difficulty living through, and sexual abuse is one of them, and that's why I said um, that that I was grateful that that wasn't part of my childhood. Thank Um, God. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but it wasn't an easy, I mean, you know, my my younger brother took me aside and said, Pat, you've got to stop antagonizing Dad. He's going to kill you someday. And I li- I listened to my brother, but I realized I couldn't stop. It was harder for me to stop standing up to my father than it was I was more afraid of losing myself under his overwhelming personality than I was of dying and there were times when I wasn't sure I was going to live so um so you you I I couldn't I couldn't do that I couldn't um I couldn't if if he was being abusive I stood up to him every single time and um I don't know. Maybe that makes me a strange person, but I think it makes me who I am.
1: Uh, It makes you a a wonderful person, a strong person, and thank you so much for sharing that. Patricia, you write, I came from an abusive home, so all of my characters need to struggle through various forms of abuse. Why is this your formula, and why is this so important to you about these characters?
0: Kids that are going through abuse believe that they're bad people or everything's their fault. Okay. And the, one of the reasons for writing the fiction is to let kids know that they have to go through this. By the time they read this, they're already young adults, and they're already feeling like failures. It's to let them know that it doesn't matter what the abuse is. You can take, you can survive it. You are a valuable person. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You're still a valuable person, and you can overcome that, too. And people have to know that. That There's no accidental birth. I believe, I'm one of those people that believe that every single birth is a gift from God.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. Whether people believe that or not, I don't really care. That's my philosophy of life.
1: Another part of your expansive life is that of a foster parent, as you mentioned. What was it, Patricia, in your heart that led you to start adopting, and how has this labor of love been for you and your husband?
0: My, It took everything I had to learn, to relearn how to parent because I didn't know how. I already had two children that I was not kind to because I didn't know how to be who God designed me to be. I didn't know how to parent. So I read everything I could get my hands on. I took parenting classes. I did I did everything I could to redirect the way I was thinking. And then when I realized that that my kids were responding um and that it was working and I wasn't tied to that to my past. Then I realized maybe I had something to offer parenting myself. Um, and a lady at church had to go to a, um, a detox center because she's an alcoholic. And um, I didn't want her children going to strangers. So I asked Department of Human Services if they could allow me to be licensed as a foster parent so those two girls wouldn't have to go to strangers it just broke my heart that that this was happening to them, and they it wasn't their fault. Um, and the mom, it isn't that she woke up one day and said, "Gee, I think I'll be an alcoholic and, and make a mess of my kids' life." It was never like that. Now uh, these are all hurting people, and they needed they needed some loving care. And um, as far as the love part, that that doesn't come naturally. That comes from the Lord. I'm a Christian, and I believe very strongly that. All of my faults are more than compensated um, by my Lord. But anyway, that's what happened. That's where I started. And I just decided to continue because there's not just that family that needed help, but there's a whole bunch of them out there, and there's never enough foster homes.
1: So true. Uh, You've also written, all my foster children have dark paths. They all know They know all about hating and hurting and too little about loving and forgiving. I only take kids in their late teens who have already done everything wrong and now want to change. I can't parent all children, but I have a special place in my heart for these older ones, the ones people would rather lock away and forget. They are redeemable. I give them a healthy home where they can find redemption. Amen to that, Patricia. Why is it that you have a special place for the older kids? How did you come to be this way?
0: Well, I have trouble with kids that <laughs> I have. A, by the time I was by the time I was 28 years old, I had been taking care of my younger brothers for 20 years. I already had a career in because <laughs> uh, I started when I was eight years old, and I just can't tolerate. I feel trapped when I'm taking care of younger children, right? <laughs> so, um, and, and when teenagers, by that time, they really already believe they're bad and they're ugly and they're mean and they're thieves and they're whatever they think they are, and they're not. And uh, some of them have to go to kids' jail first before they realize that maybe they don't want to go that direction. And some of them come to a home like mine mine was, Dennis and I can't do it anymore. But... Um, But they they need a different point of view, someone that doesn't look at them that way. Um, I can't say that I was successful with all the children, but I can say that they had a second chance and maybe a third chance and maybe a fourth chance, whatever it takes to help them become um, functioning adults. Most children that are in their teens don't know how to get a job. They don't know how to make a fix any kind of a meal at home they don't know how to manage a budget they don't know how to find an apartment they don't know enough about themselves to find a decent mate they don't know any of those things and and by the time they're 18 they're just shoved out into the street so a good third of them become homeless right away they don't know how to do anything and so that's what i did is i i helped uh, I have some very extensive and very strong homemaking skills, and so I used that. They they needed to know all those things, and I, I can't fix everything, but I could teach them that.
1: Amen to that. Patricia, you also have another passion, gardening, and you mm-hmm. wrote a book called Healing Her Herbs from Your Kitchen, a Willow Bank, a Willow Bark Tea Book. Where did this mm-hmm. project come from?
0: I um, hurt my back. I was fixing a chair in the living to recovering it. And it was a lightweight chair, but it was big and bulky. It's was an overstuffed armchair. And I was sitting on the floor um, covering it. And when I woke up the next morning, I couldn't walk. I twisted something in my back, and I couldn't walk. And my doctor said, oh, you've just got a, a strained muscle in your in your hips or your, or your buttocks. And I said, I don't think so. Um, and I, I'm one of those people that I, I just walk it off. If I'm hurting, I just walk it off because most right. of the time that's all you really need to do. I didn't know that I had a twisted vertebrae, and I was, I was, giving myself an additional problem. So um, that's the next year we moved here, and my second doctor, um, said, "Oh well, you've got arthritis in your back." Well, I already knew that. I mean, by that time I. I, I was having real trouble, and I was on a walker, and I couldn't. She wanted me to do stretches. Well, I couldn't get down on the floor and get back up again. So I told her, and, I, and the pain was incredible, and I said, I can't. And she goes, why? I said, who is this person? Why is she giving, <laughs> not even listening to anything I'm saying? And, and I realized that she wasn't going to be of much help, and I needed to do it myself. So for the first time in my life, my, my dad was a geologist. He, uh, chiropractors to him are um, woo-woo science, you know. It was <laughs> Right,
1: right, right.
0: So I went to a chiropractor. She took x-rays. She showed me the twisted vertebrae. Yes, it, there was arthritis there too, but the reason for the arthritis was the twisted vertebrae. And so she helped me get back. I'm, I'm walking. I'm gardening. I, I'm in pain all the time, but it's not the same. Not the same at all, I can do those stretches now, but i when I began to look for alternative health, I came across a whole bunch of stuff I could do from home, you know, like herbal teas and mint tea. Remember at the very beginning, I said mint tea was my favorite?
1: Yes, yes, yes you did. Mint is
0: a natural analgesic um it's an antibiotic wow. and an antiviral. It's just wonderful now it's not a strong one. It's not strong, but it's one of those things you drink all the time and your body starts fighting. I haven't had a cold for two years, not even a cold. And it's because that's exactly what mint does. But taking herbs is not like taking pills. So what I wanted to do was show people that what got already in their cupboards, they could make into meds at home. And I do that. I have recipes in there and I have... um, um I just had a, I just went through my own cupboards and I have some of this and some of this and some of this and I researched everything and I wrote it down in a book that's why it's called Healing Herbs from Your Kitchen
1: <laughs> That's so awe-inspiring and awesome <laughs> I love it Uh, Patricia, you have a bachelor's degree in organizational management and a master's in divinity and pastoral counseling. Has these degrees paved the way for you to work and counsel people who have asked for help in their lives?
0: I'm about six credits short of being a a licensed um, therapist, although I've worked as a therapist. I can okay. work in the state of Colorado. I can legally work as an unlicensed therapist, but I have to buy huge insurance in order to do that. Right. Um, so I use the education in other ways. I use it to write books. I use it to do, to um, work with people that are having issues. I don't get paid for those things. I don't don't get paid much for writing books. Come to think of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs>
0: But I find my life full, and I really appreciate yes. that. So um, everything has worked together to bring me to this place, and I really appreciate what I'm doing.
1: It's fun. So in <laughs> closing, I have what I feel is a pertinent question. Besides your husband, children, and family, what would you say, Patricia, is the one thing that you are most proud of?
0: Um, I really think that I've done a good job writing. I think I'm a natural storyteller. I think that uh, it's a gift, and I am using it to its fullest. Um, I might not be a best-selling author yet, but I fully intend to be. I'm driven. So I think that um, those, those times when I thought I was ugly and stupid and and um unloved they're they're part of who made me who i am and nothing stops me now just nothing so i'm i'm a storyteller and i'm going to keep telling stories and i'm going to make the best sell- seller list someday
1: words to live by um patricia give out any contact information your website how people can contact you or follow you on online. Um, give out any contact information you'd like.
0: Okay, Twitter is Patricia R. Scholes, without the S on the end. S C H O L E. So it's that's some Twitter um it's Patricia uh on Facebook. It's Patricia Renard Scholes and Patricia Scholes. Patricia Scholes is my that's S C H O L E S um is my just my regular family oh, I'm anti everything I'm a very conservative person so I've got all this political stuff on my um, my personal <laughs> website um, and then the the literary one is Patricia Renard Scholes but my website is com. and they can contact me they can contact me through my website they can contact me through my Facebook through Twitter um I love to talk to people so that people can contact me. I'm available.
1: You have been listening to the Funk Soul Cafe with your host, Robert Batista. My guest has been a beacon of light and hope for humanity, and I am a better person today from knowing her. She is author, survivor, wife, mother, counselor, and so much more, Patricia Schultz. Visit her fantastic website, com and feast your soul. Thank you so much, Patricia, for being a guest on the Funk Soul Cafe.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: It's been wonderful. God bless.
0: God bless you, too.